0: To the EPL pitch side. This podcast is powered by City FM and City Sports. This is your go to hub for English Premier League analysis, transfer stories, statistics, and everything in between. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. My name is Benjamin kitya and on this episode, Arsenal have a Kai Havertz problem. It was not pretty during that draw uh, with Fulham Football Club. Also, Ghana's Mohamed Kudus makes the jump to the English Premier League. Is it the end of the road for Philippe Coutinho as far as um, high-end top-flight football is concerned? He is getting attention from Qatar and which teams could strengthen ahead of the transfer deadline day also on Africans in the EPL. We talk about Serge Aurier. Will he be able to compete with Argentina's Gonzalo Montiel and also the future of Mohamed Salah? How had a back again in Liverpool's Review Mirror. Has Onana uh, had the effect that was desired at Old Trafford after three matches? That's all to talk about on this podcast. And I have two of my brothers here with me, Nathan Quao and Edwin Parkofi. Gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Thank you,
1: thank thank you, thank you.
0: Well, let's start off with that Arsenal conversation because Arsenal were hoping to make it three wins out of three, Mm -hmm. keep the heat up on Manchester City, but they stumbled badly against Fulham and Kai Havertz really did stick out like a sore thumb. 20 passes only completed and only four of those were progressive passes. He was hooked very early in the second half uh, to make way for others who could impact the game. Arsenal fans after the game have gone on a couple of rants. Mikel Arteta has been asked by journalists what exactly is going on with Kai Havertz. He says he was pleased with his contribution and he thinks that the German will eventually come good. Nathan, how, how big a problem is this for Arsenal?
1: I It, it is a headache. I, I don't think it's generated into problem status yet. Mm. I mean, I feel that the performance over the weekend had a lot of Arsenal fans very concerned. I didn't see the game. I, I watched large chunks of it later. And even the numbers that you mentioned highlighted Kai Havertz's problem. And if there's one thing I, I... I mean, I was listening to commentary. I was on the road, so I was listening to commentary on, on CTFM. The commentators kept saying that it looks like he was slowing the game down. So I took note and watched the game again. And it was true. Whenever he got the ball, it was as though... He was sending Arsenal backwards or passing it in positions that weren't really affecting the play positively. And several Arsenal fans I've spoken to have complained about the same thing. Um, It's a major challenge for Mikel Ateta. And I think the basis of all of this is trying to fit in everybody, Pate, Rice, Havertz, all in one setup. And I think Ateta has to decide very quickly what works and what doesn't work. What he will do is he will persist. I think he will persist just to see the extent of the issue and then take a decision. But if you spend sixty five million pounds on a player you wanted a lot, a player who no other team was chasing, <laughs> then you know you have got to kind of justify.
0: Talk about persistent, right? They have a game against Manchester United. A coming very important up. And game. I, I, I heard Gary Neville talk about the fact that Ateta needs to ditch the tactical tweaking and the mm-hmm, matri mm-hmm. as we like to say it here. And <laughs> stick to the basics because sometimes you go tweak tactics, you drop points like you did against Fulham, you probably drop points against Manchester United, and all of a sudden you're looking at a gulf between yourself and the leading pack that you can't close yeah. anymore.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that becomes difficult, and, and now you have to take very tough decisions you, you, you wouldn't want to take, and players might misunderstand those decisions, and it's just a, a mix of you know, very, very horrible things. But Arsenal and Mikel Arteta need to really look at Kai Havertz and figure out where it works for him. You can tell that I said months ago on on Sports Panorama that Kai Havertz was misused at Chelsea. And we know what he's good at. If he's ghosting in behind the striker, that's wonderful. But the problem is this. One, Gabriel Jesus is out injured. Arsenal are not even starting Edin Ketia. So it means that Arsenal are doing the same thing Chelsea are doing by throwing Kai Havertz on to lead the line. And clearly that will not work. Now, in which part of midfield do you even play him anyway? Do you jettison Odegaard for him? That won't happen. Do you play Odegaard deeper to accommodate him? Does that not distort the balance? What happens to Thomas Partey and Declan Rice? I feel that those are decisions Mikel Ateta will have to figure out very, very quickly or else it becomes a very uncomfortable ride. But like I said at the start, it's not yet a problem, but I think it's a bit of a headache. And last week's results against Fulham highlights the potential pitfalls of not having the right pieces around for Mikel, I said, and he needs to figure it out very quickly or else he will have a lot of tough decisions to make along the line.
0: Edwin, I mean, how do you think Kai Havertz is feeling himself right now? Chelsea didn't play out well. Arsenal not starting off great either. Uh, but for a lot of money, manager believes that he can bring a lot to the table. When I look at him now, at this point, I'm confused because I'm not sure what a manager should be looking for. If it's goals, if it's assists, if it's progressive passes. But what do they do with him? going to that game at Manchester United? Do they perhaps decide to let him sit on the bench and watch from the dugout whilst the old guard figure things out? This is a big game, and I'm sure Ateta won't want to drop points.
2: Yeah, he won't want to drop points. You don't want to drop points against one of your biggest rivals so early in the season. And you asked what I think should be done with him for this game. I think he should be dropped for this game. You don't want that kind of pressure... Uh, a player who is already under pressure to deliver a player who is struggling at the start of his career with your club a player who has just come into the team and clearly not integrated with his teammates yet you don't want him to put you don't want to put him in a high pressure situation like a game against united you don't want to throw him into that deep end so leaving him on the bench might be best for him i feel that it might be a few days Uh, into the season so far but it's already looking like a very expensive mistake for Arsenal and I'm one of Kai Havert's biggest fans I was a fan of him at Chelsea I liked how he played at Chelsea unfortunately it didn't end up too well because there were expectations put on him that shouldn't have been because of other players' inability to play well, the fact that Strikers who were brought into Chelsea were not fulfilling their roles of scoring goals. So he was stuck up there as a big man. When he, he doesn't play as a big man, he can't play as a big man. We know how Havertz likes to play, and I think that that's expectations have, have been brought to Arsenal. I know Ateta is playing him in a different position, but they expect goals from him. They expect assists from him. And Arsenal fans are used to other players in those positions who have already delivered for the club in the previous season seeing someone new brought to the club from a rival mm-hmm. uh, no less who was thought to not have performed for the rival come into their starting lineup and still not deliver the goals and assists that other players like we saw in Ketia score a lot mm-hmm. last season mm-hmm. we saw uh, we saw Trossard when he came and score Gabriel Jesus, when he came in, he scored as well. Jesus, as he said, is not available. Mm -hmm. But then Nketiah has had to be sacrificed. At times, Trossal has had to be sacrificed just to integrate uh, Havertz into uh, their starting lineup. And I'm sure the fans aren't too happy. And once the fans get on your back, the player starts (laughs) feeling very uncomfortable. And then he starts playing, uh, second-guessing his moves Mm -hmm. He starts uh, you know, making a lot of mistakes, not playing the way he should. And that all gets to the player's head. And right now he'll be thinking about the move to Real Madrid that possibly collapsed, which would have been a better fit for him. With Real Madrid needing someone who could play as either a false knight, help out Bellingham a bit, that might have been a better move for him. But he needs to stick with it. Havertz is typically a slow starter for his clubs. That's Uh, By Liverpool, he took a while to get going. Started with five assists, four goals. Mm -hmm. Next season, six assists, five goals. Then the previous season, it suddenly ballooned to thirteen goals. That is how uh, his career at Chelsea also went. Started small, eventually started getting goals and assists. I think his last uh, season he ended with uh, a tally of fifteen goals and assists for Chelsea, which is pretty decent. Not the best, but pretty decent for the situation he was in with the club. So I think Arsenal fans just need to stick with him. He, I don't think Ateta should have started him right away. He had mm-hmm. a system that he was working with, which was working for him. Mm-hmm. All he had to do was start playing, Kai kind of Havertz uh, slowly integrating him, start uh, gelling him with his teammates. He didn't, he threw him in. It's not working out. Sometimes he himself has admitted that it's not working out. Sometimes mm-hmm. you acknowledge your mistakes go back a bit, sit him on the bench, let him observe his teammates, come in and then make a difference.
0: Kai Havertz really does need to make a difference because at this point, Arsenal fans are scratching their heads and asking themselves what is going on here. Well, let's get to a situation that's closer to home and that's Mohamed Um Started out from Strong Tower FC, uh, went to Right to Dream, moved on to North Island, moved on to Ajax. He has finally arrived in the big times.
1: Star boy. <laughs> the English
0: Premier League. He says he's here to entertain. He's excited. He's always wanted to play in the Premier League. Doesn't seem like somebody who's arrived in a big league. It seems like he's right <laughs> at home as things stand out. Thirty eight million pounds, a few add ons, um is what Ajax uh received from West Ham United for him. Now if you look at that Ajax or that West Ham team, sorry, they look like they've spent that Declan Rice money on a rebuild. So they got Edson um, Alvarez yeah, uh, from uh, Ajax. They got Mohamed Kudus. They got James Ward-Prowse in the mix as well. Looks like good business to me. Nathan, first of all, does Kudus walk into this team as a starter? Or you think that money regardless, Moise will be Moise. He will let <laughs> Kudus sit on the bench, probably play Paqueta, and let him probably wait for his opportunity.
1: Mm. I, I, I don't think he will throw him in you know, right now or instantly because there are players in the potential places Mohamed Kudus could play in. There's Jared Bowen who's playing out wide on the right, cutting onto his left foot and he's already shown what he can do. So Moyes trust him. There's Lucas Paqueta who doesn't look like he's going to Man City if the stories are anything to believe. It looks like Man City's attentions are elsewhere. I think they have their eyes on Mateus Nunes of yes. Wolves. So maybe that ship may have sailed. So those are the two places where Mohamed Kudus could potentially play. Um, Down the left-hand side, that is if Kudus will get a shot at the team. Down the left is where his best um, um, effort should be directed at because some of the players are very inconsistent, especially side Ben Rama. He hasn't been too great. He blows hot and cold, and that's a place Mohamed Kudus could, could target. Do I think he wants to play down the left? I doubt. I think he wants to play either through the middle as a false line behind the striker or from the right, where he can cut onto his left foot and and deliver. So I feel that those are the the things Mohamed Kudus needs to think about. But, But West Ham have added a player of great talent, great quality, a player who's already performed at the World Cup, a player who Europe already knows. And I'm happy that Kudus comes into this team with something to show for all his efforts as a pro player. Did very well for North Island. Did even better for Ajax. The number of goals, you know, wonderful stuff. And we saw him deliver... In the Champions League, that's the biggest or that's the highest level you can think about. And he's played at the World Cup, scored two goals. So he comes into it with a lot to show. I think he would have to, you know, fight for the spot. If he's playing through the right-hand side, then he should be ready to deal with Jared Bowen um, especially. But I think Kudus will get his minutes. He will get his opportunity he has to understand that this is not a team that will dominate the football. So he needs to modify his game slightly to fit the demands that David Moyes will ask. Top of those lists of demands will be working hard without the ball. West Ham are a team that's very workman-like without the ball. But sometimes they get into this very interesting vortex, Edwin, I don't know if you've observed, Mm. where we criticise West Ham for playing the way they play, then they want to change and play a different kind of football and it doesn't work and they go back to this old way. So... I think Kudus will have to understand that this will be a team where if they stick to Moyesian principles, they will not have a lot of the ball. He has to learn to use the ball wisely. He has to be a goal threat. He has to help the team. If he's ready to do that, it's all well and good. You know, somebody was telling me, you never lose the creative side of your game. You learn new things. So if Kudus can learn these new things, working hard, being strong, being disciplined, it's, it's to the Black Stars' benefit, and it's to his own benefit as a player. But he's jumped to a league where the attention is there. And I'm happy that... I'm happy when Ghanaian players play in England because your profile shoots up by another fifty percent, you get all eyes on you, yes, yeah, sometimes it can be tough, it can be daunting, but you are there, so one good performance will have everybody talking about you, and if you can string those performances across weeks and months, you are in the you are in the media, you are in the spotlight, you are getting the biggest interviews, the nicest things are rating about you. And that's wonderful. That's the benefit of playing in the world's biggest league. So I'm happy for him. He has to understand that now the workload is twice as much. The expectations are twice as much. And he's got to deliver.
0: Well, um, West Ham do have a following in Ghana. Uh, it's been brewing for like a minute. So it's about I'm, to. Yeah, it's about to explode about to actually. When you sign a player of Kudus' caliber, you earn yourself an entire following, not just even in Ghana, but in Africa at large. So um, Big, big things happening for more Kudus. I don't talk about adaptation because Nathan touched on that. We all know what Kudus can do. Strong on the ball, strong foot. I mean, shooting technique, great. But like he said, a David Moyes team will not afford you a lot of time to be touching the ball. You might not have as much possession as you are used to. Does he have what it takes to thrive? Can he play one-touch football? Because even in a national team, it's been his biggest drawback.
2: Well... Uh, a lot of the arguments against Kudus moving to West Ham when the deal was mentioned was the fact that he's not going to grow at West Ham he's going to develop better at Brighton and i feel that at West Ham he's not going to be given a, a chance to hold on to the ball for far too long moise is not going to allow that he's going to say uh, emphasize on teamwork when you have the ball release it to someone in a better position Move into a better position, release it, and get it back. And I think this is a growing step for for Kudus. You you are going to have play under a manager who emphasises a lot of passing, releasing the ball, not holding to it too much. And that is what Kudus needs to learn. We all know about the fact that he holds to the ball quite mm-hmm. for quite a bit. Often allows himself to uh, himself to be drawn into battles with defenders when he shouldn't be he is a talented player he's a very good dribbler but when you are a player with such footwork it's there are sometimes uh, situations where less is more where releasing it earlier where moving into positions where your your positioning your movement is much better than uh, off the ball mm-hmm. than it is on the ball, so I think under Moyes he will definitely learn to become a more uh, team-oriented player rather than being in an individual. And he has the players around him who can help him thrive. You look at Antonio, who is one of the best centre forwards in terms of holding to the ball, in terms of mm-hmm. occupying defenders. That will definitely play to the strengths of Kudus as. Once Antonio occupies a lot of defenders, he takes players away from him. There's a lot more space for Kudus to operate behind him, uh, get the goals, get the assists. I think that it will take some time for him to Mm -hmm. get to his best form in the Premier League under David Moyes. But if he keeps playing the way he ended at Ajax, he will definitely get there.
0: Well, we are looking for... Uh, Big things from Mohamed Kudus. He um, has scored 14 goals playing as a center forward. So that's the most he's scored in any position. So that's a very interesting start. So he's a guy who can play up top if you need him to uh, because that's where his skill set is best suited. If you look at his numbers from Ajax, uh, he played 87 matches. He scored 27 goals, delivered 12 assists, and got one career hat-trick. So um, not a bad haul of numbers uh, in a spell that was... Um, disrupted by injuries quite a lot. So he did manage to get a good haul of games. Let's take the conversation forward and let's look to a guy who um, has quickly become a has-been. Philippe Coutinho plays his football for Aston Villa. Uh, once <laughs> upon a time, he was the toast of the Premier League fans, especially Liverpool fans. Long ranges, intricate dribbles, and whatnot. Well, um, the word is that he's falling out of favor with the coaching staff at Aston Villa. Um, most Premier League teams will not deem him Premier League worthy. And so he's looking to the Gulf, probably going to Qatar or Saudi Arabia. Nathan, is this the end of the road for Philippe <laughs>
1: I, I think it potentially is. I think that it potentially looks like um, a goodbye to top flight football, European football, and put it that way. But I think the end has been coming because if you look at, if you just look across, lots of teams have players who are very similar to him. Lots of players have teams. Players, sorry, who are, you know, lots of teams have players mm-hmm. who are similar to playing in the hole behind the forwards. And just look across Man City's got um, Kevin De Bruyne, mm-hmm. Man United's got Bruno Fernandes. If you, if you go to Chelsea now,
2: you can A bunch of them. Yeah, a
1: bunch of them, <laughs> right? If you come to Liverpool now, they have evolved. They may not have player with a 10 now but they have kind of evolved. They've moved on from that structure, go to Arsenal, there's uh, uh, Odegaard, who you can argue is is their most creative player. So lots of different teams have got different players doing that kind of thing. And Aston Villa themselves have moved on, right? If you look at the players in Emi Boendia, before the ACL injury was, was providing them a lot of thrust through the middle, players like John McGinn, You know, doing so even from the wide areas. Leon Bailey, you could argue, was was helping out. Now they've brought in a player like uh, Musa Diaby, who's delivering from the middle. So, I think Coutinho, Coutinho was kind of bypassed. His time at Barcelona didn't work well, and you can do your history and and notice that that was when the dip started, when he really couldn't fit into the Barca team. He couldn't, you know, replace Neymar. He couldn't replace Iniesta. He wasn't just that type of player. And, and the game moved on and evolved and you could find that he really wasn't that kind of guy. Of course, when he came back to to England to play for Villa and that Gerard, yes, he got a few great moments. I remember he scored against Man United and all. But you could tell that Villa have moved on. So if he's leaving, I think it's because they can't find a place for him. He's not impacting the team in any way possible. And so they'll, they'll have to move him on and see what they can get. what they can get for him. It's quite sad that The potential that did promise us a lot didn't really hit the heights. But you could tell that that move to Barcelona at the time for him was an absolute upstep from where Liverpool were at the time. And then he moved. Strangely enough, it was when he left that Liverpool, I always say that the Neymar money had a way of changing everything because it was the same Neymar money that got Barcelona Coutinho, got them Dembele. But it was the same chunk of the Neymar money that got Liverpool, Virgil van Dijk. And Alison, and their there's story there's also There's a running
0: went, joke that the Coutinho money is an endless pit <laughs> and that Liverpool are still spending the Coutinho money. You know how, yeah. how that joke but, but goes. But it's,
1: yeah. it's, it's, it's quite sad. and Like I said, Villa as a setup has moved on. So I think Coutinho will have to also find a, a new home. Hmm.
0: Edwin, just 30 seconds on Philippe Coutinho where you probably think it went wrong and if he can salvage anything left out of his career at the top flight level.
2: Look, it went wrong the moment he decided to live, leave Liverpool. I think... Uh, we all remember what Club said to him. Stay, a statue will be built for you. You leave, you become any other player. And he decided to go. Uh, you, you can't argue against the fact that Barcelona was a huge draw for him. But had he stayed, something would have b- been built around him at Liverpool and the Club. definitely. He came back to Aston Villa, had a very good season. But then he suddenly dipped off. I think... He's a hugely talented player. We know what he can do with the ball. But he doesn't s- strike me as a player who works hard enough for what he wants. There were moments last season where he was dropped to the bench because of inconsistency. When he was brought on for a few minutes, you'd expect him to work hard to earn his place. He didn't. He was just loitering around the pitch, not really adding too much to <laughs> Loitering I- around <laughs> the pitch is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's sad for a player so talented to not, show that talent consistently enough for his team. And I feel that's what's led him here. And even even the Saudi clubs have realized that this is not a player that you can rely on mm-hmm. to give you 100%. There are other players who have probably passed their prime in Europe but have been approached because they, they can still give you something on the pitch. And I, I feel that it's a sad end to a player that promised so much, had so much talent, but... His, yeah. his His trophy case might be filled right now, but in terms of where the ceiling we saw for mm-hmm. him, he mm-hmm. hasn't yeah. reached that yet
0: yeah. well yeah. la philip Coutinho's case is rather sad. We wish him all the best Let's move on to. Um, some teams that could strengthen ahead of transfer deadline day. It's the 1st of September. Um, yeah, that's teams, approaching very yes, quickly. Teams have two hours, remember, if a deal is in place uh, to complete um, transfers. That's if a deal sheet has been submitted. So just we'll just go through a few names really quickly and then we'll get to our next segment. Nathan, um, Arsenal, both days strengthening as things stand I now. I,
1: I don't think so. I, I think they have everything they need. Of course, they had... This a bit of a a bit of an injury hiccup with uh, MJ um, Jesus, but he's he's returned to full training, so I don't think mm. I don't think they've already let go of Balogun, and yeah. it looks like they have options to
2: make do and, and fill those positions. Edwin,
0: quick thoughts on Liverpool and Chelsea. You expect them to bring in bodies before the window shuts?
2: Well, definitely Chelsea. I expect them to bring in uh, uh, an offensive player, someone to help. Get the goals. Jackson did get a goal, but I feel that there's still something there that needs to be solved for Liverpool. It will depend a lot on whether Salah stays or not. There's still a bit of. I know the club says they don't want to let him go, but you never know. One huge bid could come and uh, they could take it. So I don't expect Liverpool to strengthen beyond that. They have a really strong squad. Assets.
1: Just just a quick note on Liverpool. I
2: if I were Klopp, I'd,
1: I'd have another look at the centre-back department yep. okay, and wonder, okay. maybe... just Connate maybe, just and maybe the, one And the Saudi
0: clubs are circling Joe Gomez. You know,
1: just maybe one person in just to ensure that things are okay. Because Matip and Gomez are... Yeah. They're, they're, the difference between themselves and Van Dijk you and Konate so, is a little yeah. So if you can find somebody who's in between there mm-hmm. or closer to the Van Dijk-Konate scale then then that's
0: fine i'm wondering what tottenham would do because they had their eyes on Lukaku. looks like he's heading to as roma yeah. so it looks like that might not happen we'll keep an eye on them everton football club are bringing in <laughs> beto from Udinese, um brazilian forward Are uh, very interesting. this plus quite the yeah. amount on him i just thought on that
1: i i find it interesting that everton do have money for that i I thought, I thought I thought their if, finances, they are spreading it, it around. You know, <laughs> to fix because Everton have all kinds of problems with their team. They are big holes in that team, but maybe they feel that that's what they need. If they can get somebody to score for them, that is fine. Because clearly Dominic Calvert-Lewin will not give them thirty-eight games a season. He's Almost always injured, he's almost always never available. Mm. I can kind of understand why they are doing this, but I felt 30 million could have been spread all around to give the, the squad a a, a a bit of a bit of that's uh, how like, I felt
0: about Crystal Palace spending all that money on Dean Henderson. But <laughs> hey, what do I know? Let's take a quick break here on the EPL pit side. When we come back, we'll be delving into some talk of African players. the EPL pit Side here. My name is Benjamin Nketiah. Let's get into our focus on Africa. Let's start off with Serge Aurier, Ivorian right wing back uh, who plays his football for Nottingham Forest. Yeah, some competition to deal with uh, because Forest have signed World Cup winner and Argentine Gonzalo Montiel. Edwin, can he compete?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially given how he started the season. I think that in their first game against Sheffield United, he was absolutely brilliant. His crosses into the box were something that I I saw them and I went, whoa, is that Aurier? Because they were very, very good. And when you have a player like Awoni who is ready to position himself well and attack balls, he is definitely an asset. I think in that game he put in five crosses, five really good crosses, two of them. One of them was an assist for Awoni. The second was blocked by a very good tackle, uh, he was also one of their best passers in the game, 80% pass accuracy, uh, 65 passes. That is outstanding a, a for a player who plays a wing back. You would expect those numbers from pro- possibly a centre-back or a midfielder, but he's getting involved in their, their whole play, and even despite the uh, competition that he's faced from sometimes all, Ola Aina, uh, who was brought in as well to give him competition, he stepped up and he, we see why teams like PSG mm-hmm. and Spurs paid all that money for him. Yeah.
0: I mean, he's somebody that I personally like. I don't care about Gonzalo Montiel's <laughs> Argentine flavor. <laughs> Says Aurier is my guy. Nathan, let's talk about the future of Mohamed Salah because Al-Itihad really are not going anywhere. I've heard they are back again in with a bit. That's $100 million. <laughs> That could rise to possibly a hundred and fifty based on how things are going. Salah has been hot and cold you mm-hmm. cannot mm-hmm. tell yeah. his stance yeah. clearly is there a world in which Mohammed Salah possibly leaves liverpool this summer
1: i if you ask me i think it's more likely he leaves later than now i think liverpool provide him with of course the greatest opportunity to to win big things i don't know how much hunger he still has when i watch him play it looks like a player who still wants to deliver and play at the highest level so i don't think that to be honest, I, I mean, we all don't know what he's inside or what, what's going on inside his, his, you know, his team and the negotiations, whatever. But I don't think he'll be enticed to leave. What I do worry for Liverpool is this. Now, at a point, they won't have to make a call on all of these things because I, they were recycling the team. They brought in Nunez, Jota, the others. Firmino has moved on and all. So at a point, they won't have to call time on, on Mo Salah. But I don't think that time is now. Of course, he's the highest-paid player. He's the best player they have. He gives them all the goals and all of the... So he still has some value. He still holds a lot of influence in the team. He provides, he does a lot of good things. I think Salah will, will give this one more go and, and see how it plays out ultimately at the end of the season. I don't know if Ali Tihad or any other club will be back either in January or in the next main window next year. But I think Liverpool should stand their ground. I, I really don't see him leaving. Mm-hmm. I don't get any indication that he would be swayed by a big money deal. Like I said, there's still a lot to be done at Liverpool. They still want to get back to the Champions League. That's enough motivation. They might want to do well in the Europa League. I don't know how well they they want to take that, but I don't Mm. think Salah leaves in this window.
0: Well, I can tell you one thing. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I'm sure MBS would love Salah as the crown jewel to his <laughs> his project. Well, let's finish off with a conversation on um, Andre Onana. And there was a meme going around that had me absolutely in stitches. Taiwa Wuni gave him a little dummy, and he was on the ground before the ball came in. Um, has the Onana effect kicked in yet? I'll take just about 30 seconds each, and then we'll wrap it up. Nathan?
1: Not yet, but not because he's a bad goalkeeper. The structure of the team is still not in shape. Like I said a few months ago, Man United's biggest headache was not a ball-playing goalkeeper. I think they should have fixed other parts of the team. And then you add the ball-playing goalkeeper. Now, if your team can pass the ball well all around, if you add a ball-playing goalkeeper, that's when the automatic effect comes in. But if the team is struggling to even possess the ball and control games, if you bring in a ball-playing goalkeeper, who is he passing to? What patterns is he playing to? Who is he finding? So I feel United need to fix the structure first and then we'll see the Onana effect. But I think already... You can tell in games he gives some brilliant passes from his position, can find players. But everything needs to work together for you to really see his quality in terms of passing the ball and helping the team move up the lines in terms of their tactical shape.
2: Edwin? I completely agree with Nathan. I am a believer of the fact that in midfield, you need protection in front of your centre-backs to guarantee protection for your goalkeeper. I feel that Casemiro is a little bit leggy. He doesn't have the legs anymore. He needs someone to get those runs in. United need another uh, player beside them, who can make those runs, break play, and allow the centre-backs some protection so that Onana isn't exposed all the time. I feel that in the games he's played so far this season, he's been very exposed and he's conceded a few. But you can see the quality that he possesses. If United fix that structure, as Nathan said, they will definitely have a goalkeeper who can help their whole system.
0: Mm. so Andre Onana the spotlight's still really bright on him I'm sure he's still adjusting to uh, the Premier League but that's all for this episode of the EPL Side. thank you very much Edwin Kwakofi thank you very much Nathan Powell Mm. as well you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts my name is Benjamin Nketiah and many thanks for doing the listening